Welcome to My Favourite Writers, a new series from me, Abigail Tartellin, interviewing my favourite writers from around the world. Today I interviewed Children of the Jacaranda Tree author Sahar Delajani, whose debut was published in over 30 languages. Sahar was born in Evan Prison, where her mother was a leftist political prisoner. And the book is a fiction based on these events. Sahar and I have a long history together. We are publishing sisters and you can hear more about what that means in the podcast. Sahar talks about being a minority writer, having a big debut novel, what those years were like and what the subsequent years have been like in the publishing industry. And we have a conversation between ourselves because our career is pretty much exactly the same length and you'll find out why. As always, the audio can be a little tempestuous because I'm recording on video. And for those videos, you can watch them on my Instagram, abigailtartellin underscore. And the spelling of that is in the description of the podcast and also on YouTube on the channel Abigail Tartellin. Thank you very much for listening to My Favourite Writers. Please like and leave us a review if you like the podcast and share it with your friends. This is Sahar Delajani. <laughs> we had both of our books were like big books of the London Book Fair 2012. Sahar's particularly Children of the Jacaranda Tree is this beautiful novel that I'm actually going to let you describe a little bit later at the end so that we can um, and show people some covers so we can get people buying. Um, but uh, Sahar's book and my book sold to Arzu Tarzan, who was at Orion at Vidapeld and Nicholson at the time. Um, she's responsible for publishing. Khaled Hussain is the kite runner, the tiger's wife. And um, we were both pretty chuffed uh, to be with her. And she recommended my book to Sahar's already then editor in the States, Sarah Wright. Yes, yes. At Atria, at Simon and & Schuster. And so we ended up being publishing buddies yes. with the same editors. <laughs> um, publishing sisters. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, um, apart from being one of my favourite writers, because this series is my favourite writers, mm-hmm. is to talk about um, somebody who had a debut novel that came out a little while ago and is building a career from that. Because I think a lot of the people who follow me were debut novelists like a year ago or a couple of years ago or just writing their new book. So firstly, will you tell us a bit about Children of the Jacaranda Tree? And would you mind showing us the covers again? This happened last week, but I don't have my books because I moved during lockdown and I didn't bring them all with me. Sure. This is the um, UK paper edition of Children of the Jacaranda Tree. And this is the um, um, the US paper back edition. So I love that one. came out in, um, well, 2013, since the hardcover was in 2012 with you. Um, so this was, um, yes, my debut novel. And um, it was... Um, partial partly um based on um, my own life story um like well I, i'm i was born in iran like i grew up in the states but i was born in iran and um 
my after like there was a revolution in Iran in 1979 and in 1983 there was a crackdown a huge crackdown on all political activists um and my parents were at the time like leftist activists doing work um underground work and um they were both I've had and a little, hang on, Sahar, I've had a little freeze when you were saying um, yeah. what your parents were doing at the time in 1983. Could you um, repeat that for us? And sure. I apologize if it's freezing for people. Uh, that's okay. Like mine is too. I don't know. It might be even my internet. I don't know. But let me know whenever it freezes. But um, so you're going to edit this out or you're going to... Is uh, I might try to, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to, but um, so basically um, the book um, is based on like, my parents' arrest in 1983 and my uh, mother was pregnant with, um, they were polit- um, leftist activists. And so the third of the book, Children of the Jacaranda Tree, is about the circumstances of children, my generation, um, the circumstances they were born in and were raised. Um, so it begins with a woman who's pregnant in prison and which was um, very much based on what my mom told me about um, her, about, you know, the story of, of my birth. And um, so, and there was the Iran-Iraq war going on. And so there was a lot happening. And then in 1988, there was mass executions of, of these prisoners. So the first part is about those children being born in such circumstances. And then the second part is all those children now grown-ups um, wanting to make their own voices heard and sort of continuing the path, but wanting to make their own decisions about their country and the future of the country. And so it's partially based on true facts. Um, a lot of it, of course, is fiction. And, and um, a lot of it is also based on historical facts that were happening at the time. And there was, there was like a slight pause at one point, and that was when Sahar was saying that her mother was in Evan prison when you were born. When I was born, yes. And so part of the book is, although the, it's a novel and it's fictional, part of the book um, covers that time and it's based on that, that well, your mum's experience and, and your experiences growing up. With your exactly. granny? With your nan? Exactly, with my grandparents. So it was um, me and uh, my brother and my cousin who was also born in prison because my aunt was also in prison at the time. So we were all staying with my grandparents until like the release of first my mom and then my my dad. Um, and then there was the execution of my uncle, my dad's brother, which is also part of the book. So two chapters of the book are based inside prison. And those two chapters are very much based on true facts. I didn't want to add anything or subtract. I wanted it to be as true and as real as possible. Um, and then the rest of them are just sort of inspired by what, by what was happening. So there's a the grandmother character and um, the, all these cousins and friends and so on who were sort of grow, going through the same um, same troubles yeah and it's I mean I don't don't think it's a spoiler to say that you so you're currently at your parents house I am they're okay (laughs) (laughs) and they're okay yes yes they're both fine fortunately they were both released before the executions happened 
and um, have gone through a lot, but survived everything. And now we're trying to survive COVID-19 as well. Yeah. I mean, as you can tell, listening, like Sahara is an amazing novelist, but she's also an amazing person that she can have a big smile on her face and be like, yes, they survived. <laughs> this. I, I'm always like, how can you talk, talk about? And also I think, um, you know, the, the book's published in 30 languages. So you've traveled a lot and talked about it a lot. And I think it's a rare gift to be, to be able to be inspiring, talk about something so dark and to like bring people in and do it with warmth mm-hmm. and to be able to find humor in those moments. I know. I mean, well, I think the, I mean, I don't, I don't do it intentionally. It just comes out like that. But I think one reason is that you probably know this, um, like as an author, like we put a lot of emotion, especially of course, if it's a personal story, like mine was a lot of emotion in that, in that writing that is as if we come out of it, as if there's been like a cleansing or something, you know? And of course, it still makes me sad when I'm like by myself thinking about it, writing about it, or in some, you know, very serious situations, maybe that when there are other survivors and so on, of course, like, um, I lose my smile then. But I think because that this book has really helped me be able to first talk about it. I never talked about it before the book it was like top secret in our family. And then second, it would just be like, talk about it with calm and um you know and then you know there's also the fact that I don't take any of it personally I think it's I'm part we're part of that history and we have to be angry about that happening not necessarily because it happened to us I would be the same we should be the same if it happened to someone else so I think there's also that I don't I don't take um the whole thing as something done specifically to us. Yeah. Did the book also help your parents talk about it? Because presumably if you didn't talk about it before, when it came out, yeah. you know, that's the awkward thing about being an author and being close with your family is that they read your book. <laughs> and, you know, in terms of mine, talk about like genitalia and things. And then <laughs> in terms of <laughs> your book, talk about things that they went through that you know, were huge times in their lives that defined them, presumably. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the beginning when the first book, the book first came out, I kept having all these nightmares um, of them drowning or my family, parts of my family drowning and I need, I had to save them and I couldn't. I had all these anxiety dreams because there's so such huge responsibility that comes with it. First, are you even telling the stories in the right way? And second, you're forcing them to talk because you wanted to talk. Yeah. And, and it's their life. It's primarily their life. And, but I think um, overall, especially my dad has, had always been comfortable talking about it, but my mom, not so much. Um, and I think the trauma of a pregnant woman is probably incomparable to anything and anyone. Yeah. Um, but this has helped her speak and it has helped her um, sort of digest in some ways, reading it, I think, black and white on paper. Um, she talks about it. And then she said that what she loved was having 
my point of view because she thought she thought that she always thought about her own experience. Yeah. And she suddenly realized, oh my God, all these children were listening to us, like <laughs> us, like all of us, you know? And that was really mind blowing to her because she had never really thought about it. So there were all these like little elements that I think in, in overall had a, had a therapeutical sort of um, effect. Yeah. It's such a good point about being pregnant you know, like thinking about women who are pregnant now, I was thinking I had a friend a few streets away just have a baby and having to go into the hospital where all of the COVID patients are and go on the ward and know that lots of the staff are unfortunately, you know, martyred basically and, and getting infected and passing things around the hospital without knowing because they can't, you know, they're not all getting tested. Um, but to think about being pregnant in prison and not knowing when you're going to get out, not knowing if something very bad is going to happen, like the executions, not knowing if your baby's going to get out, just oh, it's a horrible yeah. thing to think about. Yeah, yeah. I know. But you're here. <laughs> <laughs> All went well. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I, I wanted to talk because both of us have had, we had our first novels come out and, and we did amazing tours and um, spoke, like had them translated in lots of languages and it was an incredible experience. And then both of us have had a really long journey to what the next thing will be. Mm. And um, I wanted to ask you about yours basically mm. and about what you have written like I think firstly it would be really nice to hear about that time when the book came out and and then into like you know when you started writing the next one yeah well the time when the book came out of course it was it was it was insane because um you know, you know, as, as well as I do, we, we had to go around, there were tours, festivals in different countries, countries I had never been, um, countries I had never thought of going to, but I found it beautiful. And it was exciting to, you know, all these people who would come and talk to you and want answers. I think that was one thing that was really amazing to me. I don't know if you had the same experience but I felt like people had a lot of questions and they expected me as the author to all the answers and I was 28 29 at the time and I didn't have all the answers but I pretended I did (laughs) (laughs) and I still don't still pretend that I do and it was really amazing like all these like old like older people or you know and they were just like and I realized that there was this so much um passion and um there's so much will to understand something that's really incomprehensible you know and of course they would also sometimes compare it to what they were going through I remember when I was in Greece for example there was the crash and there was a lot going on and they wanted my experience to make sense to them and give them some answers and so on so that was I think a part that was both amazing and challenging and exhausting and 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 then I learned a lot about myself, about my work. I'm a different person. I'm a completely different person after that book. I learned to think because people made me think because they kept asking <laughs> questions. <laughs> and I really thought about things as much before. So that was an interesting 
an interesting exercise. This is what you get when you write a really smart book because people are like, oh, you must be really smart. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I think there was something going on. Um, so that was a really challenging time. And for about two years, I, I tried to write, but very little. Um, but then I started writing again. And I, I think the best part of being an author for me is not so much, I mean, I'm an introvert and um, I have a hard time, even though you can't tell if I do an event, but I have a hard time talking to lots of strangers all the time and being social. And so you are so good at events because I've seen you talk. Well, I, I a lot, like it's something that I've, I've, I've made myself do. And I think I'm okay now. But in general, I think what I love about it, this is when the time that I loved began. The book was doing, I thought, pretty well. And I had gone all over the world and talked to all these people. And then, like, it was the time that it was kind of over. You know, now I can focus and write. And I felt so confident that anything I write is going to just do as well. And all I needed was to write. And I was just in my room. And that, those were some of the most best years of my writing life um it didn't come to anything but I still <laughs> sort of see it as oh the peace I felt yeah. at the time um before I realized that making a career was a lot bigger than having one big debut yeah so this is you know oh. something I wanted to get you on and talk about because your book is like you know incredible I mean like it's beautifully written, it's about something very important, but it's also really, um, it's dexterous. I mean, the, the way that you've blended fiction and, and, and fact and done it in a way that's really emotional and human, as well as getting in a, a, a real life story and not leaving out any of the facts of what went on in prison to the family. And, um, so, uh, yeah, and Saha's book was was a really big debut, and and I had the same experience. And but a career as an author is so much more than that. And for me, it really hit me hard at one point, and I thought, like, oh my god, what am I going to do? How am I going to write? Can I write? I, you know, had tried different things and had, you know, like editors or say, mm, I'm not sure about that, and. Um, but I have authors who speak to me about that kind of thing all the time, actually young authors who maybe had a recent debut, um, about the, that level of expectation. And then at the end of the day, it's an industry and you are handing something over to somebody who might be, whether it's an agent or an editor, um, and wherever you are in the world, obviously you have a different home editor um that they might say no because they aren't really interested in that topic that you've written about or they're looking for something different or um and so there's a kind of like the debut novel comes out and it's a wedding and I think most people think that's what it's about you know I've got I'm gonna be famous <laughs> it's like I'm gonna be freaking Ian McEwen <laughs> and um and then you're like, wow, there's like a ton of work that comes after that. And a lot of it's negotiating. Okay, how am I going to build this career? Because it's not just an easy ladder. Um, so, I, yes, I, I wanted 
to hear your experience yeah those emotions as well <laughs> yeah. well you know um I think a lot is happening at the same time in in a, in in a in a writer's career the 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 the, the facts there are the facts that you you're writing you never stop writing I've never stopped writing um I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages that I've written in the past seven years and some of them are good some of them aren't but I realized that having one good book first probably doesn't mean everything that you write is going to be good but you will eventually get to something good for sure if you keep writing because somehow somewhere your talent or or whatever your understanding was of a situation was proven so now you just have to sort of refocus and shift focus on something else to talk about but sometimes i also wonder that you know um i'm part of the minority writers and even though i don't i don't want to say that i honestly believe that I got to just keep working hard. But I also do understand because I've been, you know, talking to a lot of like other minority writers as well that sometimes we have this wall in front of us which is the wall of tell us your personal story. Yeah. Because it's it's amazing and it's fascinating. But once you want to go sort of beyond that and say, no, I'm actually a writer. Okay, yes, I had an interesting life story to talk about, but I'm actually a writer. I can talk about other things. There the suspicions begin. And then I'm not saying you cannot overcome because we see so many writers, um, minority writers who have overcome and are amazing. And and the industry is shifting as well. But it's does feel like you could just give an extra push or two extra pushes and um so I'm like I want to be conscious of everything that's happening it's not always easy um but I've had trouble I think um sort of overcome that and I'm not saying my, my I'm not overcome um writer of minority like minority writer um obstacle but I think that's also one of them because I keep hearing the same stories being told to me by other other writers I think that's one thing and then the second thing is that um somehow your um perception and we were talking about this earlier your perception of success is different than the industry's perception of success. If you haven't sold a million, then you're probably not a success story. Yeah. <laughs> and even though you're like, but look, it's been really yes. great. I never thought I'd been published. And I yeah. was, it was translated. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and they're like, no, you know, you haven't sold as many. And I think that's one of the problems. Um, and we, to, to yeah. give some context as well, I mean, as I say, it's an industry, it's a business. Things are going on that are outside of your control. Mm -hmm. And at the time when um, both our books came out, I think think one came out the month after the other. Mine came out a month after yours, I think. Yeah, probably. I remember, but it was very close. It was very close. And... um, Which is funny to think of one of us, like, following the other around America. (laughs) Um, but at the time, there was uh, Waterstones in the UK had just been taken over by Daunt Books, 
And um, when I went around with the Orion uh, sales person, because usually he would take an author and he would like walk them into lots of shops, have them meet the staff, give them lots of free copies, and then rely on the idea that the staff would like the author, like the book, and then the staff themselves would speak to the manager and choose to order that book in. But they had just stopped that. And I, I don't know when they, like, if they picked it back up at some point, but when they first bought Waterstones to get it into um, like a workable shape, basically, um, they took the ability to buy these books as, as far as I was told um, away from managers and it was more of a central decision mm-hmm. and so that um, was difficult for debut novelists because the like Orion couldn't just hand sell our books like they would usually do so they just took me around but they said it won't make any difference to whether they order the book but if they get it in maybe some of them will try and sell it for you because they'll like it but it's not up to them whether they get it in. And then over in the States at the same time, yeah. um, who was having a dispute? Barnes & Noble was having a dispute with our publisher and several yes. other publishers. Yes, yes, yes. And they weren't carrying their books, I remember, or not carrying it. At, I don't remember, but I remember not maybe not even carrying it at no, all. They weren't. They weren't. Yeah. And so, so that when, was, when it comes to, yeah, so when it comes to ordering in the paperback, they say, oh, well, we didn't sell any of the hardback. Because we didn't carry it, but we didn't sell any of the hardback. So it becomes more difficult to get your paperbacks in. So I think when we both did tours, we did independent bookstores, didn't we? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Only independent bookstores. And you know, I think there's something else that's going on here too, um, which is like, I think just the precariousness of working environment in general in our world Nobody is sure of the job they have. So the editors working at these, um, at these publishing houses um, are not there forever. They're not permanent. Their jobs are not, their positions are not permanent. So at any moment they are moved or they go to another publishing house or they, you know, they open their own business and so many things because they, so I think one thing that, which is really, 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 disastrous for a writer because a writer needs an editor who follows her career just like yeah. an agent and so they're in love with you exactly okay. so they know how you work and they're gonna they they're investing not in a book but in your career yeah. that doesn't exist anymore because they can't afford that they can't afford to have a book that doesn't sell well because they're going to lose their jobs and um I don't, you don't, I don't know about you, but most of my main editors, my American, my English, my Italian, um, my French, um, so many are not there anymore. Yeah. We've moved on. It's like starting all over again. And that's just like, I mean, that's, I think, a huge problem in our work environment in general in in this world. Yeah. so nobody can actually do what they can, what they want and what they love with, you know, calmly and without worrying about their own financial future. And these are, it's, it's like a job like any other. They can lose it anytime. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, I mean, that's been just awful. That's been, that's been really awful for all of us, for all writers. 
and even um like a job like any other that's such a good point and like a job like any other but also forward facing and so it's about the things that you release and whether something like in England gets picked up by the Richard and Judy book club or the Waterstones book club and just takes on a life of its own that's such luck when that happens Um, and I do think that the um, I mean it's a long time ago now but I think that the recession really did have a big impact on the books industry didn't it like I, I mean while we were selling our books I was hearing from everybody about how oh it's like editors and it's it's we're publishing so many celebrity memoirs now because we're trying to make that money that we don't make anymore off novels and the dispute with Barnes and Noble was about Barnes and Noble requiring uh, the big six publishers to pay them to uh, put their books at the front of the store I think it was something along those lines and so yeah like everybody's being squeezed everywhere and yeah your editors and I mean both Azu and uh, Sarah are yeah not there anymore um, and so who are you I mean you have a second book I mean you've had your second book come out already but who do you go? Because now you're, you're an unknown. I mean, of course you've published and so on, but you're again an unknown to the editorial world because those people are not there anymore. They're yeah. doing something completely different. They're not even in another publishing house. They're doing something completely different. And um, so you can't rely on anything. And I think it's this precariousness that is going to kill us all because <laughs> you can't. You don't have anything to rely on and you just you're in your room and you keep writing and you don't know who's going to be out there anymore once you come out you know what we were before I pressed record and one of the things that we were talking about as well as like for me I think women who at the age that we were when we put our books out who think yeah I've written a novel and it's really good I'm going to submit it to an agent and then an editor I tend to be quite bold people and quite confident people. And then you get that drop in confidence when you, after everything that's happened, because really I think almost what you get told is, oh, it's, you're going to be really big now. Like there is no, you better watch the sales. You better be careful or like there's a long career ahead of you. It's, it's all just a lot of um, fanfare and exciting things. And, and um, which is really nice. And, you know, <laughs> but um then you get that drop in confidence and for me when people ask me about you know oh this didn't go so well for me I I thought that things were gonna you know I maybe had a a big debut and now this isn't going so well or um and I say that it has to be about confidence because as an author you have to have that authoritative voice that makes people open a book and think she's got me I trust her I'm, I'm on the ride, like, let's see where we go. And it's also about having that confidence because this is a job where agents come and go, editors come and go. And no one thinks agents come and go of the, you know, the new writers I know, but they do. And you have to be the motorbike. You have to be confident enough to sit there on your own and be like, I'm, as you, as you were saying, 
I'm, I'm confident in my book and that's what I have. And that's maybe all I have, but I'm confident in my book <laughs> and I'm going to find someone to publish this. Yes. Um, yes. That's and all you have really. Yeah. And, and, but that has to be enough, doesn't it? I mean, like it sounds dire, but we're also saying that in a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. We're fine. Totally. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> No, I think because exactly because of like everything that we've said so far, it is the only thing you have. If you yeah. don't have that, then not, I mean, it's all like, um, I don't know, the, I can't think of the word now, but it's like, like a bubble and it bursts at any moment, that beautiful bubble. And um, so you can't rely on it to carry you forward forever. Not that it doesn't exist and it's wonderful and you've, you've done good with your first book and so on. And that will give you something to work on. But at the same time, it's not something that will protect you. And you need something to protect you. And that something is only you and, you know, people who, you, who love you and read your work and say, you know, you still got it. You're good. You're talented. Keep on doing it. You know, and that, that you know, what else? You can't. Until you become someone who is super established, you just yeah. get it. How much does uh, do reader does reader feedback you know make a difference to you as well? Because obviously, like your book spoke to so many people and spoke of something that hadn't really been spoken about. Yeah. No. Um. It does. It does. I'm. I'm while I'm writing, I'm definitely so open to suggestions and feedback. I never think that I've, what I've done is perfect. Never. Like it can always be better. I think we should never think that in general. Once we think something is perfect, then we're done. You know, also, to do it if you're like anymore. aiming for perfect, but, you're never going to get that. You know, if you're aiming for perfect, man, <laughs> you'll never publish yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly, exactly. And some people do have good ideas and they make you think and they make you see it from another perspective. So I'm all very much open to, I never get mad when I get bad feedback. I'm always, but then once the book is done, it's a different story. And then that's when the whole thinking part comes in. You know, I start thinking about all the things I didn't think about. And, um, and that, that isn't, but that is an exercise that will come handy for the next book and the next book. So in general, I love feedback. I think it, I love seeing things in a new light. Um, of course, it's devastating, especially when the book is done to get, you know, negative feedback or to get something, oh, your isn't as great as we thought and things like that that people say. Oh. <laughs> They, they don't sound like nice. I cry for a day. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably like not readers. They were looking for some sci-fi. Also, <laughs> you never know what people are looking for too, you know? Yeah, That's what I always say to writers actually, that that whole thing about this is what the market wants, this is what the market doesn't want, this is what... And what you were saying earlier um, about trends, you can't rely on any of that either because that yeah. it is really... It could be true one moment and not true another. So you've got to just keep writing what you think matters. Yeah. It's a difficult (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I have some 
lighter yes. questions. Um, but I think that that will hopefully be very helpful to some people. And I mean, I definitely feel very positive. I can't wait to read your new book. I'm really excited about it. So. Mm-hmm. Read it. Oh. Um, so my, my question, I, I usually ask this at the beginning and I forgot. I was kind of like excited to leap into <laughs> the other question. But what was um, um, baby Sahar like in terms of your writing like when did you start writing as a as a child you know were you interested in imaginary worlds how did that develop for you and did you go to university for it I don't I don't know um well I I I studied um comparative literature I have a BA in comparative literature but I never did creative writing um I never studied it you know, at school or university. I just thought of, I was very old fashioned. I thought that, you know, creative writing classes didn't exist in, you know, 200 years ago. So I'm going to do what they did. I just keep reading. And well, it, it, that's why it took me a long time to write my first book. I wrote three books, three novels um, before Jacaranda. Um, yeah, so I just kept writing and learning and writing and writing. And then meanwhile being rejected because you write something and you still want to have it published and then you realize maybe it's not so good. Um, but The Baby Sahar, I always wanted to write, but um, I wanted to become a poet in the beginning. Wow. So I started like writing poetry when I was like 15 more or less. School in Twenty-two. I've had one um, second, Sahar, and um, just, uh, it froze again. So, okay. could you go back to saying I started writing poetry when I was fifteen? Yes. So, so um, I started writing poetry when I was fifteen, when I was in high school, and then I continued till I was like about twenty-two. And then at twenty-two, I realized that like I wanted to tell stories more than poems. Like I love poems, but it wasn't really my way of communicating. Yeah. And then I was, I, I was at the time I had just moved to Italy. And um, so even if I wanted to do a creative writing class, I couldn't because it was all in Italian and I didn't, I, I had, I had started learning Italian, but I didn't want to write in Italian. Um, I wanted to write in English. So I just thought I'm just going to learn it on my own. <laughs> and then, so I just kept writing and writing. Um, so that's why, you know, about the second book thing, because I had those seven years of a lot of writing and finally I got to Jacaranda, I thought that I would never have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it still... Like every book is the same. Going to <laughs> you think at some point you'll get to somewhere where you'll just be like churning them out. I can't keep on doing this seven year thing. It's exhausting. Um, and then I wanted, before we go... Oh, yeah, so that was basically the beat. Okay. And I wanted to ask you, before we go, two questions. Could you recommend a book that you read recently or are reading currently to, to viewers and listeners, because this is also released as a podcast? Um, mm-hmm. And also, can you recommend somebody else for me to have on? Um, so it will be, like, I always have on people that I've read their books and mm-hmm. I like them. Um, mm-hmm. You might know somebody who I've already read their book, but it might be a suggestion out the blue, a new author I can try. Sure. Um, so 
The book that I have recently read and just um, absolutely loved was um, Flights by um, Olga Tokarsnok, I think. I can't. I know who, I know what you mean. The Nobel Prize, <laughs> last year's Nobel Prize winner. I'm um, Polish. I can't pronounce her last name. I, I got it once and then I like, I, I lost it again. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, it's a novel, but it's just so experimental and it's a travelogue as well. And I loved it because I've always read men writing about traveling, especially traveling alone. Yeah. And she does it and, and she tells stories amidst all these like little texts about writing. It's just like, you just don't want it to ever end. And it's, it's just so, so beautiful. So I've just ordered another um, novel of hers, which is more classic novel. Um, so I recommend reading her and, um, who I recommend you to have on, well, so many people come to mind, but it should, should be someone I know personally or just in general? Just like somebody, basically that if you love their writing and Mm -hmm. particularly if they're under some as well, that's that's something that is appealing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I can think of um, two people I, well, I, I know personally. One of them is um, Hala Ailan, and she is a Palestinian writer, and she wrote um, her debut novel called um, Salt Houses or Salt House. Um, and she's amazing. I read her book um, recently, and, and I thought she, she, it was amazing, and I got in touch with her um, on Instagram, which makes life easier. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> and um, another is another um, Iranian writer who who lives here, um, and she's written two books, and her new book is going to come out, and her name is Jasmine Darsnik, and um, she's amazing. Um, again, Instagram friend, but I had read her work. Um, these are the two books. people. Well, of course, so many, but these are the two people that come to mind. And yeah. what are her what are her books about? Well, um, the first her debut um, novel was, um, it was called A Good Daughter. And it's about her um, relationship with her, her mother. It's also like kind of autobiographical, but um, fictional. And then her second book, um, um, Songs of a Captive Bird. Oh, it's, it's, that? um, it's about which is, um, who is a poet, um, what one of our like, um, revolutionary sort of feminist, um, um, poets, uh, female poets, and um, who died very young in a car accident, but she sort of changed the, um, well, the way we look at poetry, which was then still something very, you know, male oriented. And also she was very open. And then at the time, you know, Iran was going through this modernization. It was before the revolution. She had a huge impact. She, has, she was like an influence. She would have been an influencer <laughs> other than a, yeah. than a poet. Um, but in a very good, good, good way. So oh, her, her book, I actually, I haven't, but I know that it's based in San Francisco, but it hasn't come out yet. Okay. Well, and that, and that uh, second one was called Songs, Songs of, a- of a Captive Bird. Okay. Great thing. Well, but I can, I'll write them to you. Yes, please do. That would be good. Um, 
Well, thank you so much. That was it. And thank you for joining me. This is so nice because we haven't seen each other for a very long time now. I know. So I, I, I missed you. It was so nice seeing you. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the record. So wave goodbye to everyone. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much for being on. As you can tell, we had a few audio and internet problems there with the sound dropping out. I don't have a big budget or anything. I'm just publishing these myself and uh, doing the interviews on Instagram for a bit of fun and to talk to writers that I find really interesting and wonderful people that perhaps I've never had the opportunity to ask them the questions that I can ask them right now while we're all on lockdown. So um, do excuse the audio and internet problems. I think the interviews are well worth publishing and I hope that you do too. If you'd like to buy uh, Sahar Delajani's book, it's called Children of the Jacaranda Tree and it is available in all good bookstores.